podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Living in the 1980s now. Everything is fine. What is it Ray says? Uh, <laughs> we're all fine here. Yeah, we're fine. How are you? <laughs> hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. Boy, do we have an example of its continued influence today. We have several examples, including our guest. My name is Will, and joining me as always are my friends and my co-hosts, Kat, <laughs> Ray and Kat. I have to say, I have to do it the same way I did it. I was going to screw me up. Oh, jeez. It's not an OCD thing. It's just a- Are you sure? Are you sure you just can't say okay, Kat and Ray? Friends and co-hosts, Kat and Ray. Hello see? there. See, that was perfect. Now I've got to knock on my desk three times. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be speaking with Violet Sky, the 20-year-old- social media influencer, I'll say, who's also a singer, it turns out. And we'll talk about mm-hmm. that later when we have her on the show. But this young woman is living her life as if, as if it were still were the 1980s. Indeed she is. And it's, she's been doing it for a few years now. And we're talking about she's adopting the look. You know, her, her home is decorated in this style. <laughs> she's connected, collecting mm-hmm. objects from that decade. I, I think she may very well be living a more 1980s life than easily than any of us. Right? I, I feel like she, yes, she's using the musical technology that she has that's just sitting in my basement. Yes. <laughs> she's using hers. <laughs> and you say technology, but we're talking about a turntable, which is technology, but you would, you know, yes. you say that, and I'm Walkman. thinking about a, you know, a, I almost said Walkman. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, you said Walkman. I'm thinking of <laughs> yeah, a yeah. phone. People are going to think of iPhone, but no, no, uh, we're talking right, vintage right. here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it is funny, right? Because since we're older and have a show about <laughs> literally about the 1980s, Folks can literally, literally say, you're stuck in that decade. Move on. And I say, mom, dad's calling you. Don't you have something else to do? Or, <laughs> mom, I don't know. Um, but, you know, you get a young person who's doing it. It's like, yes, bravo. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Love it. Hey, we love it too, of course, obviously. All right. Hey, before we uh, continue with the show, a uh, brief announcement. This week, this week here. Okay, so today is what? I don't know. This episode comes out on November something. Oh, that's not going to matter to you. All right, this week. Hey, whenever you're listening to this episode, hopefully Mm -hmm. it's not yet November 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern, because at that time we will be speaking with Cassandra Peterson, who you may know as her very well-known character, Elvira. We will be uh, interviewing her and taking questions from the live audience on Facebook Live over on our content partner, the uh, 80s Ruled page. Again, Wednesday, November 10th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Come with your questions and come ready to go because we've only got it for a half an hour. So we're going to be fired out of a cannon or some other (laughs) 1950s slash 1980s horror comedy metaphor that I don't have at the tip of my tongue that could be better associated with her character. I don't know. Right on. Ray, I would look to for help, but I'm kind of enjoying the. Me struggling? Yeah, your your thing you're doing over there. I like it. Struggling. Ray (laughs) likes to see me struggle. It's fun. All right. Hey, uh, let's do something important and get caught up on 1980s news. Speaking of uh, continued uh, influence of 1980s pop culture, we've learned that a new crime thriller is going to be set in the 1980s. uh, Per, and this is a website. BritishPerioddramas.com. This is not a website I would otherwise come across. I don't watch British period dramas. My wife's a fan of uh, Downton Abbey and uh, mm-hmm. something else. Uh, Bridgerton, but that's not British. I think that's set right, in America. Right. But that's uh, whatever. Um, I haven't seen it. But, but according to that website, Sky, which is, you know, a channel over on the, in, in the BBC, I, I think it's on the BBC. I don't really know. Someone in the UK can let us know. <laughs> I see if John Walker's on the show this week. I'd ask him when we got him on, but they've uh, ordered a new drama series and set it in the early 1980s. It will feature a quote, pulsating 80s soundtrack. Ooh. The show named A Town Called Malice is described as a raucous crime thriller and family saga set on the Costa del Sol. Uh, the filming of the eight episodes is set to begin later this year in London and Spain, and it's written by Bulletproof creator Nick Love. 
you know, I was thinking about this. Um, we know, you know, like Stranger Things, we talked about how, uh, what was that, the Conjuring movie that was set in the 1980s, how it didn't have the capture of the 1980s in the way that, say, Stranger Things did, and they did it purposefully that way. But, you know, you're talking about a crime thriller set in the 1980s. We know what a crime thriller set in the 1980s looks like. We ha- we watched those on TV in the 1980s. <laughs> so I think it would be easy for them to, to nail it. Well, this is actually, I think, from the crime family's perspective. Okay. Not the detectives. Mm, okay. Oh. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like the Sopranos, but set in the 80s in England. Little twist. Yes, with with cool accents that half the time you can't understand what anyone's saying. <laughs> That's what, subtitles. Yeah, subtitles. There you go. Uh, you, yes, you're right. Uh, in fact, this quote says that it follows a crime family of petty thieves from South London who have fallen to the bottom of the criminal food chain. Yeah, so I guess maybe like you're saying, we won't. We can't expect to see uh, Crockett and Tubbs necessarily <laughs> their angle on things, but I, I would think the vibe might could be similar. Maybe, uh, maybe not. No, I guess well, Miami is very specific. Yeah, but the cops could look similar to that. They yeah. just aren't the main characters, but they could have the wicker shoes and the yeah. pink shirts. <laughs> wicker. And, is that what they're made out of yeah, wicker? I think so. <laughs> that sounds and, uh, so uncomfortable. But isn't it embarrassing that we need subtitles for English to English? Mm. <laughs> I don't. I'm proud to say. I, I so don't need subtitles with the English dia- the, the, uh, accent that I feel as if I understand a foreign language. <laughs> when my wife has to ask me, what did he say? I do very well with Monty Python. Hmm. I do very well with the young ones. I see. But there hmm. are some of the, the more uh, guttural so versions like, uh, of it that South, are hard to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to understand. South London sounds like it might be along those lines too. You're right. It could be, uh, yeah, yeah. And now I will <laughs> attempt to do the rest of the news for this show here in that Excellency. Yes. A town called Marlis will premiere in the UK on Sky Marks <laughs> and now TV towards the end of 2022. <laughs> now, Ray read that in the subtitles. So you have to wait to 2022 yeah. to see this one, but uh, they've also announced two more British crime dramas, dramas that will also be set in the 1980s called The Gold and the other one's called The Curse. Uh, all right, whatever. In other 80s news, uh, hey, on October 30th, in our hometown right here in Cleveland, Ohio, the Rock and Roll Hall of mm-hmm. Fame held its 36th annual induction ceremony per variety at the live event, which was which was virtual last year, so they're back to being live. There were plenty of surprises among the performance, performance choices, including Taylor Swift opening the show with Carole King's Will You Love Me Tomorrow and Paul McCartney and the Foo Fighters closing it with Get Back. Among those unexpectedly joining the jams were Eminem and Jennifer Lopez for LL Cool J and Keith Urban filling in for Brian Adams in a Tina Turner medley. Hmm. I didn't watch it. Did you guys, any of you guys watch it? Didn't no. Catch it. No, I didn't even remember it was on. <laughs> we were following this earlier in the year when we were trying to help with the effort to get Devo inducted into Rock Hall, <laughs> Hall of Fame because they're a you know, hometown band. But the, the class of 2021 did include, you know, a number of uh, 1980s related acts, including LL Cool J, who, who I mentioned. The mm-hmm. Go-Go's, Tina Turner, who was very popular decades earlier, but really, you know, came into uh, or found a uh, love from another entire generation, it seems, in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And Kraftwerk, who were very influential in the 1980s, including, and I talked about this with uh, Mix a lot, on hip-hop, Kraftwerk, mm-hmm. which, because uh, they were, a lot of times they were sampled uh, to create uh, hip-hop songs. And according to Vulture, the Go-Go's, during their acceptance speech, dinged the Rock Hall's misogyny problem. So Vulture writes that one of the most upsetting facts about the Rock Hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that the female inductees only comprise about 8% of its total body. I was shocked by this. Wow. Why? Well, because I would imagine female artists represent closer to 50% of all artists just because they also represent closer to 50% of the whole population. 8%? Even with misogyny, you'd think maybe 20, 25, (laughs) 8? It doesn't even break double digits. I think what she's actually referring to, though, to is is all-girl bands. No, she's not. No, she's not? No. Well, then she's stupid because there's a lot of great girl artists in the Rock Hall, and there's four that I can tell you they should have went in before the Go-Go's that are yep. all girl bands yep. that have mm-hmm. better album sales, more albums. The Rock Hall listed the Go-Go's as the most successful all-female band on their website. Yeah. Hmm. It's completely false. Okay. I looked up the numbers. There's 7 million albums sold. Mm-hmm. Over 3 million of that is best of compilations. Okay. Hmm. So that means 50% of their album sales 
are compilations yeah. of their greatest hits off their four albums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have no number one hit songs. That's shocking. The, ba- the hmm. Bengals do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they also have five albums and seven and a half legitimate millions sold. Yeah. Uh, who else? Let's see. Bananarama. Right. 10 albums, 30 million sold. Yeah. A number one single, mm-hmm. Venus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dixie Chicks of all things. Yeah, that's so 33 funny. million albums sold, mm-hmm. eight studio albums. Mm-hmm. And this one is, they should, I'm pretty sure they're not in, Salt and Pepper. Right. No, they're not in. You're right. 15 million, five albums. Uh, they have a Grammy. Mm-hmm. They have five AMA nominations. And they're not in. But the Go-Go's are going to talk about how the Rock Hall should put more women in. Well, she could have, she could have named those, those bands and. But you it know, does sound like you're agreeing with her, though. I don't agree with her. I think those bands should be in because they would have appreciated being there instead of giving some dumb speech about misogyny and rock music. But how else oh. do you explain this, though? Well, I explain it as come with me, if you will, on a magical journey on a weekend to the clubs in Cleveland. Yeah. And let's count the band members that are male compared to female playing each night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there'll probably be five or six bands mm-hmm. and you'll probably see one girl on stage the entire night. Hmm. Why? Cause they got more important things to do than get all sweaty and make a dollar. The, the, them, uh, but your point is you're saying there's more male artists than they're female and there may very Correct. well be, but by what was what that? 92%. I don't know how to do the math. What's the reverse math? 108% more. Or I don't know how you do the math. Absolutely. It's 108% more males playing bands. I, that, I, look, I don't know that we could even find out how many men versus women are performing. You know, I don't know if anyone done that statistic, but it's got to right. be more than 8%. But to your point, I, right, uh, you made the point and I, I created a list too, by looking online. Barbara Streisand's not in it. Dolly Parton, Pointer Sisters, mm-hmm. Carly Simon, Gloria Estefan, Pat Benatar, Grace Jones, Carol King just got inducted. <laughs> yeah. Only just. I mean, she was inducted as a songwriter in the 90s, I think it was. Okay. okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And Tina Turner was a, was inducted earlier uh, as a, as a as part of, uh, you know, Ike and Tina Turner. But she just got inducted this year as a solo artist as well. There's mm-hmm. so many women who could easily be inducted and make it, I don't yeah. know, 10%? 12%? Well, here's, but once again, here's the other problem you have is yep. none of those bands have the record sales or the number of albums compared to other bands. And I'm not just talking about the, the, the metal bands that I like that have 50 and 100 million. We're talking about Duran Duran, 100 million albums sold, mm-hmm. two Grammys, uh, yeah. 21 top 40 singles just in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They're not in. So Shameful. What uh, If they're not in and we put the Go-Go's in because we need more women in, but, How does that make well, sense? Well, well, we don't know that that's why they put the go-go's in. Well, it's I looked right. at the list this year yeah. and it's all diversity for the sake of diversity instead of actual merit. Uh, no. Tina you, Turner. assuming that because you, Tina you, Turner you don't know the actual in, Carol King, and I would say Jay-Z. Yeah. I don't think the rest deserve to be in. Mm. And that list goes back a number of years. Well, I think, look, every year it's controversial who gets in versus who doesn't get in. And mm-hmm. the kinds of things that you're citing, that the, the problems with who this, you know, discrepancy, not the gender one, but just the, I guess the record sales, the quote unquote quality or whatever of their react. That's been a controversy for probably going back to 1986 when the first thing started. But it seems like the fact that, you know, we're not even talking about race. I mean, race is probably a whole other thing where you've got folks who created songs like, uh, well, I can't remember the name of the woman who created Hound Dog, who's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But and it certainly didn't outsell Elvis. But Elvis is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But a lot of the acts they introduce or you know, induct are, are seminal in one way or another. It's not about record sales. It's about supposedly their impact on you know music. <laughs> well, then yes, then I would give you the Runaways over the Go Go's. They should be okay. in too. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they they talk like they're groundbreaking. I've seen their videos. I've heard their songs. I don't hear the groundbreaking part. Well, I mean, look, that that's a subjective aspect of it, right? Right, yeah. It just yeah. seems like if you flip the coin, you'd get, you know, at least more than 8% females in. <laughs> and last year, the- the uh, does seem like that. The um, CEO of uh, Rock, the Rock Hall Foundation, Joel Pierceman, Pierceman uh, responded to this controversy saying that, uh, quote, we're trying to make this as gender neutral as possible and just look at this and just look at the criteria of 
uh, of being inducted is quality. Or just look at look at it. Hmm. What kind of sentence is this? I don't know what this is, but <laughs> what he's saying is, according to him, they look at it in a gender neutral <laughs> way and they just look at the quality of their work. But we can't even huh. say that even according to what you're saying, because according to every stat yeah. or everything so, I've looked up, uh, they have no quality. And I think he maybe when he was saying that, maybe he was having a mini stroke or something. <laughs> I might have accidentally deleted something too. I wrote this down. <laughs> I have no idea what the criteria is and I, and I can't find it online. Well, All it is is that. Yeah. You highlight the biggest problem of this, What I read about it. It's like a super secret process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've got a thousand folks that are able to vote. Nobody knows who these people are, what their right. qualifications are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think in the very least, this highlights for me two things. One, you would think mathematically or statistically you'd have more women, regardless of quality or whatever, just sure. odds yeah. are. Yep. But two, yep. like you, I think we're agreeing, is that there's a whole problem with this rock hall. We're not breaking, we're not breaking any new ground by saying that because people have been saying that for years. Yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, in other 1980s news, Wasp has announced its 40th anniversary world tour. Now, should Wasp be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Um, I don't think so. No. For me, the criteria, you have to be somewhat uh, top 40. Okay. And they are they don't qualify for that. Yeah. Uh, you can't uh, have naked chicks and torture <laughs> them up. on stage. Yeah. What? And you mm-hmm. can't cut the head off a pig with a chainsaw on stage mm. to get in and get in the rock hall. I just, I think those three things alone, and you, there's many, many other things yeah. I can bring <laughs> up, but- I am super excited because they're bringing back the original stage show for this tour. So on June, per blabbermouth, on June 6th, we're going we're gonna to explain this in just a second, Kat. Okay, on June I, think 6th, I think I'm really glad I don't know who they are. <laughs> June 6, 2022 marks the 40th anniversary of the band, which is one of the most infamous, notorious, controversial heavy metal bands in the world. And in connection with that honor, Wasp will kick off a world tour in Milan on Mar- in, in March and then perform in venues throughout Europe. There, a U.S. tour has not been announced yet. Well, it's, it's expected there will be one, but so far we don't have any information on that. About the tour, Wasp leader Blackie Lawless stated, quote, we're taking the show back to where it all started, complete with all the fire and all the blood that shocked the world the first time. I'm going to scream and I'm going to bleed. And this is what I need your help with, right? Mm. And he says, quote, because I want to be somebody. <laughs> End quote. What? I want to be somebody is their first music video. Uh, uh, it's a song oh, he wrote. Okay. While he was watching Barney Miller when he was writing uh, Bob Blood on the Badge. Do you remember that episode? And uh, he's got this big book signing to go to. And uh, Barney says, they get a call right before he's ready to leave to go to his book signing. And he gets up and he grabs his coat and he goes, man, I want to be somebody. (laughs) And that's what Blackie got the idea for the song from. So it ended up, it's not their first single. Okay. But it is the first official single from the album because their first single was left off the album because it makes the filthy fifteen. Ah, right. Oh yeah. I was gonna mention that. But I thought okay. I thought what he was saying is he's defined. His very existence <laughs> is defined by screaming and bleeding. Otherwise he's not somebody. And so for the last, you know, uh, I don't know, forty years he's been uh he's been in having an ex- existential crisis. He's been yeah. doing all right. And uh the other cool thing about this is he hardly ever, ever plays in the U.S. anymore because oh. he says, you know, in, in Europe, I can play big places and it's cool. Mm-hmm. And I come back here and I'm playing three, 400 seat clubs. So why would I come back here? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So from the very beginning in, in venues of Los Angeles and later to numerous uh, countries worldwide, the, the Wasp was banned from performing live because of their style and their performance on stage, like uh, Ray's talking about, which, you know, shocked religious organizations, shocked regular folks, <laughs> the straights <laughs> walking in their suits and ties, nine to five jobs. Um, and was part of what Ray referred to as the uh, hearings that were held uh, in connection or, or by the parents Re- music resource center okay. where they were, you know, the creating lists of songs that were prohibited or should be prohibited or, or, or labeled for certain categories, you know, um, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. were very specific, these categories. We've talked about this before. In fact, the band's first single, which I won't say the parenthetical, Animal was omitted. Oh, yeah, you, you, you're not, you're not going to say the name. You want to say it? You're just going to bleep it out anyways. Yeah, but it's part of the name. Right, animal. He says it when he says the song. All right. The band's first single, Animal, Like a Beast, was omitted from their <laughs> debut album in the United States to prevent it from being banned. 
<laughs> in the major chain stores. Okay. <laughs> and as a result of their uh, being attacked by the PMRC, concert halls were getting bomb threats, you know, where they were going to perform. Band members were receiving death threats. Lawless wow. was shot at twice, although he was never what? actually hit. <laughs> of course, the controversy just wound up making them more popular. But he wants to bleed, so uh, I guess You want to be unhappy. somebody? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yep. So would you see them uh, if they come to the U.S., right? Absolutely. I've seen them three times. <laughs> oh, no kidding. I have Blackie's guitar pick. I have Chris Holmes' oh. guitar pick, their lead uh, guitar player. Yeah. I have both of those. What, did wow. they fling them out like a little Frisbee to you? Yeah. Off they go. The one I got, and then the other one, I actually had to buy off my buddy because he was standing right next to me when he <laughs> caught it. And I was like, I got to have that. Very cool. How much did you pay? I paid him $15 for it. Oh, that's what, 1980s dollars? Or you see him? Yeah, nineteen in the Ooh. 19... Ooh. It's got to be 87-ish. Ooh. Wow. That's that's what, like, at least 50 bucks now, right? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. <laughs> at least 16, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, in other 1980s news, uh, per The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Dan Aykroyd just had an, uh, an interview with uh, The Hollywood Reporter and made a number, he answered a number of different questions, and there was at least three things that I highlighted that I think will be of interest to us. First, he was asked, <laughs> look, I'm not trying to start any trouble, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm just quoting one of Ray's <laughs> idols, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. <laughs> they asked him, what's your impression of comedy today in cancel culture? And uh, Aykroyd said, there is enough range and humor where you don't have to go pulling any divisive cards to get a laugh. There's so much in the world to comment on that's outside of the realm of offensiveness. There is more intelligent writing that can happen if you stay away from the offensive material that should be rightly canceled for its hurtfulness. Mm. Wow. Pause as long as it takes for Ray to say something offensive to me. I I, uh, assume (laughs) that was a prepared statement to keep him out of trouble. No, I don't think so. Look, you could say it was. I could say it wasn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll find out that I was right, though. Well, he also, someone handed him something that said the, that female remake was a good movie too. So the female remake. Oh, oh Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Well, I'll tell you how, you know, um, (laughs) this wasn't, um, uh, this was really him because they also asked him a question later in an interview about the UFOs, how we've got all these videos (laughs) coming out and how other folks are coming out with explanations for what they are other than being, you know, they're actually identifying the otherwise unidentified flying objects. And he basically goes on to say, look, Pilots sent these, pilots took these videos. They know what they are. These aliens have been coming to our planet like taxis for decades. <laughs> so you know it's really him. Yes. Um, he also answers, how was the experience of reprising Ray Stance in Ghostbusters Afterlife? And he said it was, f- it was full joy, wall to wall. What a privilege to be asked back to do that. It was creative satisfaction working, working again with Ernie, Bill, and Sigourney. To hang with brothers like that, family, it's always fun. Memories of good and maybe bad. Hmm. Um, Mm. And the final thing I wanted to bring up that's definitely 1980s related, he was asked, how was making the great outdoors with John Candy? And he said, Howie, hmm, it's either Deutsch or Dutch, uh, was a really fun director on the picture. He loved handling Candy and me. Howie and I, and here's the big revelation from the interview, Howie and I are working on a sequel called Hmm. The Great Outlaws. I guess you'd say The Great Outlaws. Right. right. For the right, <laughs> match the cadence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking for the candy figure. There are some really interesting names, but I can't say who. Howie and I are tickled to be, bring back Roman as a Ponzi scheme guy who victimizes a federal agent. Who knows if I can find the right partner? Of course, uh, mm-hmm. we just talked about The Great Outdoors. We talked about Anthony Michael Hall last week. Uh, it's a 1988 uh, film directed by Howard, again, Deutscher Dutch, but written by John Hughes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not clamoring for an out, a great outdoor sequel, but I remember enjoying the original. Do you got to guess who you think he might? Well, you know, I'm reminded of work with? Blues Brothers 2000. You remember who he got to fill in for John Belushi? <sighs> yeah, that was bad, though. Yeah, I don't have any problem with John Goodman right normally, but I mean, uh, and they got a kid. They got John Goodman and some unknown kid. I mean, you, you, come on. You just don't make that movie. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. A contemporary person. Now, I guess what we don't know is it, it, he says a candy type. But is he actually going to be playing that character? Because then he would be a gentleman in his 60s, you know. What it sounds like to me. Okay. So we'd need a John Candy type that's, you know, as old as John. In his 60s. Yeah. Mm, Ackroyd's 69. So. Hmm. It's so hard to to pick somebody since, you know. Yeah. All the good ones are dead. Yeah. I mean. Unfortunately. It's tough. 
you, you know, you probably yeah. just look. You make up the story. You say John Candy's character passed away, and you just put mm-hmm. someone else in there that's uh, you know '80s got contemporary. Put Bill Murray in that movie too. You know, or <laughs> just go. It doesn't matter who it is at that point if it's a big name. <laughs> yeah. Let's get Rick Moranis. Oh yes, okay. Yeah, there's a filling. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, that that would be good. All right, well, we'll we'll tell him that. Okay, hey, that was 1980s news. Yeah, you guys feel weird about this episode so far? Feel weird? Yeah. Eh, it's probably just the misogynistic way part of it went because you get really upset anytime I say anything negative about women. I'm just saying what I feel. I'm just saying what I feel in my heart. Yeah. After my that heart. first exchange, I wanted to go, whew, that wasn't too heart. bad. <laughs> hey, if you like this show, then you're probably a John Candy type. Thinking if you're listening to this show, you might be around his age. So, you know, hey, hmm. yeah. put, put yourself on tape, as they say in Hollywood. Send it off to uh, Dan Aykroyd. They're looking mm-hmm. for somebody, right? There you go. Time to audition. Right. You know? Tape yourself walking across a beach with a bunch of crap so you can fall down. And, yeah, do all the you falls. Hilarity <laughs> will ensue and you'll have a job on a, a real motion picture. Fill you, film yourself <laughs> doing a eating the 96er. Isn't that what it was? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget the fat and gristle. <laughs> but you can also just like, you know, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast so you can find out when new episodes come out. Okay, so mm-hmm. hey, uh, in just a moment, we're going to be speaking with our guest today, Violet Sky. Um, but, you know, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, so Violet, as we mentioned earlier, is, you know, she's, she's 20 years old um, and living like she's living in the 1980s. And so for us, the equivalent mm-hmm. would have been when we were kids, uh, acting as if we were growing up in the 50s or 60s, I suppose. Uh, I don't recall being so fascinated with any prior decade when I was living as a kid or a young person. No, no. I enjoyed Mm. the music. I loved listening to oldie stations um, and, and hearing, you know, 50s, 60s, uh, 70s songs, but no, I didn't feel like I needed to (laughs) fully (laughs) embrace it and uh, make it a lifestyle. So this is really cool and fascinating. She's doing this. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Listen to a lot of 50s and 60s music. But, uh, you know, other than greasers versus, what, if, yeah. what were they? Socias. Yeah, the socias. <laughs> we just had our own version of that, so. Yeah, that's how you were similar. <laughs> yeah. um, so neither of you were raiding your family closets looking for, uh, I don't know, old clothes from prior generations to wear? Mm. Nah, because we were still, we were wearing leather jackets and jean jackets just like they did so mm. i guess that kind of bleeds oh, yeah. over you're right that is true you're right that's kind of and it's kind of a timeless i think mm-hmm. right it's essentially sort of a timeless fashion style i guess depending on how the well the jean jackets haven't changed they don't really change right the yeah, leather jackets yeah. change but you're right in the 80s we were wearing those uh, classic mm-hmm. yeah. yeah there was there were some articles of clothing that my mom had actually there were slips yep. but they had patterns on them and i wore them as skirts but i wasn't trying to be from that decade. I just thought they were pretty. Mm. And so I in- included them. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember the only thing I remember wearing was my dad's, you know, my dad was in Vietnam, as I've mentioned before. One of those bits of his uh, uniform was like this. Um, it was a shirt. It was a short sleeve shirt though, that already had like the sleeves rolled up and had like his, you know, patches on it and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember some girls in elementary school that were cute saying something about, Oh, your dad was in Vietnam. Oh, that's so cool. You know, so I thought, oh, I'm going to wear it. So now it would be considered stolen valor, I realize. But yeah. <laughs> I was all of like 12 or 13. But I wear my dad's, uh, you know, military's green army uh, mm-hmm. uh, shirt. I'd wear it open with like a t-shirt under it. Yep. That was cool. Like, that wasn't really, really cool. fashion. It was just, I don't know. All right. Hey, so yeah. uh, we're going to talk to Violet Sky in a second. And just like we talked last week about Duran Duran, uh, Violet mm-hmm. Sky, spoiler alert, because this is a cruel, well, she'll tell us the story, but um, she's, she just came out with a new single a few weeks ago and it's again, consistent with her whole lifestyle. It sounds like something out of the 1980s. So, so once again, I like how I say once again for games, but we've never played them before. Once again, <laughs> it's time to play. Watch out, here I come. Oh All right. Gosh. So, so I've got three I songs. I know what that was. This is, <laughs> <laughs> I got three songs for you guys and both of you can play. And I, I don't know that cat's in any advantage relative to you, Ray, unlike the, the Duran Duran's one last year, but this is a similar <laughs> point I want to make. I've got three songs. Two of them are from the 1980s. One is an excerpt from Violet's uh, new track, which I won't say the name in case the words are in. I don't remember if the words are in this clip. 
Okay. <laughs> you tell me which one is Violet's essentially, which is the one that's not really from the 1980s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's the first one. do realize that folks listening there's going to be folks listening who know these songs because these aren't obscure songs I'm playing in this list here right except for Violet's mm. who are going to know which one is Violet's just because they know the other two unlike Ray right. now Cat may know them All right, here's number two <laughs> favorite group from the 1980s in these clips here. All right, and here, here is the final one. So out of these three, which one was... Uh, please, please be Wasp. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all similar. They're all similar. Oh, okay. All right, so which song is the poser, I suppose, in a sense? <laughs> Ray, you want to go first? Um, I will say number three is hers. Okay. Me too. All right. You both give the same answers. I'll tell you both. You're right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's right. Were you familiar with the other songs? Honestly, no, but I did listen to hers. Oh, damn it. So <laughs> it cheated. was really easy. You just cheated. To, to recognize the only one of those three that I've heard. Right. That was familiar. God, I should have asked you that to be with. All right. Hey, in, in fairness <laughs> on me. To, to the show. Yeah. And our guest. Yeah. I've heard her song 100% more than the other ones. <laughs> so the opposite happened. You spotted hers because you know her song. Right. Oh, that's so that's so funny. Hey, she might love that because uh, you know mm-hmm. the other two mm-hmm. songs are, are, are well known songs for folks who are fans. The other one was Alicia Baby Talk, uh, mm-hmm. whose All Night Passion is probably her most well known song. But Baby Talk is, uh, is close second or third. And Stacy Q, whose uh, I Need You is the big popular song, but um, I Love You is the song I actually played. Mm-hmm. So she needs you. I can't you and say she that I followed. Oh, what's that? What's that? No. <laughs> what did you say? I said she needs and loves you. I was just going to say, I wasn't um, super familiar with the first two songs. I had heard them. They were familiar, but I, they, I didn't happen to follow them or, or have them as favorites at the time. Yeah. All right. Hey, that's enough of that. Right. (laughs) Unless you want to say it another thing again. (laughs) I can look something up. So look, uh, we got it. These things come up in the news. I don't go looking for these things. <laughs> I can't avoid them. But although I feel like I'm bringing the show down, but it's because of Ray. If he would just agree with me, the show would be light and funny. <laughs> I did. I sent you the wasp. Uh, I know. I put it story. in there to make you to, right. to appease you after that. See how I ordered them too? We did the wasp one after. Right. Light Calm and fluffy. Down. A nice light and fluffy story right. about a great American band. Right. Yes. Who slaughters pigs on stage. We got it. Murga. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, in a moment, we'll be joined with our guest, Violet Sky. Our guest today is the 21-year-old social media influencer who has spent the last few years living in the 1980s and has documented her journey on TikTok and Instagram, where she is better known as Glitter Wave 80s. Last month, her passion for the decade took her beyond mere stonewashed jeans and a trapper keeper when she released her first single, A Heartbeat Away. Available for download everywhere, the track sounds as if it were produced in 1985, and maybe it was. Please welcome to the show, Violet Sky. Hi. Hey. Hello there. Violet, thank you so much for joining us. You know. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, yeah. No, you know, uh, look, your your story is... Hmm. Is fascinating to me, and I can, and I guess in a sense, well, I have so many thoughts about it. One, Cat uh-huh. and I, we've talked about on our show about how we uh-huh. do believe, and this is true, we did grow up in that decade, sure, but we do believe it was the best decade for movies, music, art, etc. Just 
objectively, and I haven't said that in a while, but objectively. <laughs> I as, agree. <laughs> as far as in a 10 year span of you know time, and most, many folks would dismiss us and say, well, it's because you grew up in that age. You were kids there. No, nostalgia, sure. That's one thing. But we also happen to be grow up in this decade. Now you don't have that nostalgia though. It's, no. And yet you still mm-hmm. feel that way. In fact, for our audience at home that can't see you like we can, you're very much living your life like it's, you know, 1985. You've got the hairstyle uh, mm-hmm. teased appropriately high. I don't know, a good five or six inches or so. You've got the work in the bangs <laughs> and it looks like the blue eyeshadow. Yeah. Awesome. I've seen images of your Thank room you. that's, you know, decked out in 1980s posters. I don't, if it were a set for a film set in the 1980s, I think everything would be, you know, uh, nothing would be anachronistic. It would all belong. Mm-hmm. Thanks. How did this begin? How did your fascinating with this decade begin? Um, so I, it started in junior year of high school. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be 21 um, this Saturday. But oh, happy birthday. Yeah, thank happy you. Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, so it started uh, when I was like, I think it was 15, going to be 16. I just started watching all these 80s movies. Um, and then I started watching one called Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the soundtrack. Oh, and the whole storyline mm-hmm. was really cool. And I heard like the synthesizers and the music. And I was like, oh, this is really, really <laughs> cool. Like, I think this is it. So I started watching more and more, you know, 80s movies. And then I did not have style at all. Like, I did not know how to dress when I was that age. Um, and I went to college and I was like, you know what? I was like, why don't I just dress 80s full time? So wow. there was a thrift store um, in the area. And I just kept going every weekend and building up my wardrobe and then doing more research and finding more details to incorporate. And then that was kind of where it started. Now it's like going on five years, I think. So yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so when you say you didn't have style at 15 or 16, did your peers have style? Would you have said that your friends did? I think so. I mean, they would kind of just like dress with like what was like trendy and everything. And I would just kind of wear like a pair of skinny jeans and like a long t-shirt that was like, did not have any proportions at all. <laughs> like it did not make sense. Um, and then like, like a, a zip up jacket, it was just a mess. So I'm glad I found the eighties. It sounds like you, you were know. trying to be eighties, but you, you hadn't quite, uh, yeah, I was trying yet. to yeah use what I had at the beginning. And then eventually I was able to get more stuff to work with. So you, you see, yeah, and you can, I think you make a good point because you know, Violet looks, you look very much like so many girls that I went to high school with. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I can picture them easily in a large sweater that's sort of shapeless, but they mm-hmm. tighten it with like a plastic belt on the outside of it, you know, yeah. cinched at the waist. So yeah. yeah, you were 80s before you knew it. So, but how is it that you even stumble upon girls just want to have fun? Were you, is your family watching 80s films? Is it just on cable one day and lightning strikes? <laughs> Um, I was just on Google and I was looking at movies to watch and I found it and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And I was kind of on like a John Hughes binge with, you know, Pretty in Pink and um, all those different ones. And then I watched that one and I was like, oh, this has music, this has dance, this has, you know, fashion, everything. So yeah, I was on Google actually. And then Wow. So had you, you know, instead, you know, struck upon some old, uh, I don't know, Humphrey Bogart film or something, you might be dressed as a flapper today or something. I, I don't know. That's, I get right. my ears all screwed up, but, you know, take my meaning. Right. So uh, I note that Maybe. this, you know, your first, first part of your passion for the 1980s had you trying to collect items from the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the first 1980s item that you were able to get your hands on? Do you remember? Um, well, I'd always liked collecting records and I'd okay. always been into records cause my mom raised me with like 60s stuff. So I was really mm. into the monkeys growing up. Oh. So I had like all their Woo-hoo! records. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so I, was, I had all their records already. And then when I found the eighties, I was like, Oh, like I can buy music on records. So it's something I'm already passionate about. Um, mm-hmm. and I think my first eighties album, there was a couple of them. I know there was the flash dance soundtrack. Oh. And then there was, what is it? Parade by Spando Ballet. I mm-hmm. bought two. Mm-hmm. So those are like two of like my mm-hmm. starting albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I bought like a sweater. It was like an 80s sweater. <laughs> and that was like my first fashion item, I remember. Mm-hmm. Kat just went to see uh, Mike and Mickey in concert there with their final oh, wow. tour. I did. I saw Mickey Bolins oh. and Mike Nesmith up on stage. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I got to meet them like years ago. I've been wow. to like conventions and stuff. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. very, very Did good. you meet them yeah. while you were doing your, your, your 80s? Were you in your 80s phase already? No, I was oh. 13, 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was still really into like the 60s at that point. 
Mm-hmm. But they have a really good 80s album, Pool It. So I love that yes. one. Yeah. Yeah. For, for Kat and I, we were just talking about this, how, you know, so The Monkeys, the TV show, obviously, is from a generation prior to ours even. But mm-hmm. MTV was airing the episodes from their TV show in the 80s. Right. And so a whole new generation discovered them and fell in, and fell in love with them. <laughs> it's a great show. Yeah. Is there something, a particular item from the 1980s that you're still, you have on your mind you'd like to get your hands on, but that uh, mm-hmm. you haven't found yet, maybe? Mm. Yeah, uh, a 1990 Camaro. <laughs> oh, man. That is the ultimate dream. <laughs> Just because that era has an airbag, but it looks okay, exactly right. the same as yeah. the 80s. But I was going like to say, whatever you're looking for, it's probably in my house, but I cannot, I can't send you no. a Camaro. Sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, aside from that, I don't know. There's nothing like specific yeah. that I'm like, thinking of now. Car, Everything that was I mean, on my list, I've hunted down. But yeah, that's definitely something I really, really want. That's practical about the airbag. Cause I, that is the one thing that's always stopped me from getting a vintage car or a retro car. Yeah. They look so great, but yeah. Like I love mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, even prior, my, my dad had a Mustang when we, when we were actually before I was born, mm-hmm. it was like a 69, but you know, these Mustangs from the sixties, supposedly the gas tank is in, is not protected. Someone hits you in the rear end, the whole thing explodes. So, yeah. I'll never get one of those. No. Yeah. But it looks the same as the eighties one. So it's just a yeah. little safer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you're, when you're, you know, you talked about, um, you know, finding records and finding a, a vintage clothing, is it important for you to be authentic in the sense that you, you want to actually capture, actually get your hands on clothing from the decade or is uh, a contemporary knockoff, you know, good enough? Um, for them, well, for what I like present myself as, I want to make it as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want any details to be like askew. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, like if something like looks 80s, mm-hmm. Like, or if it's like a basic item, like a pair of leggings, like I'll buy it new, but like, I really do prefer to get like vintage clothing. Like this is vintage limited express, the sweatshirt that I'm wearing and, you know, (laughs) so yeah, I do prefer to like thrift my clothing and secondhand buy and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I often think about, um, there's like these memes we see going around. And one of them is that if, if back to the future were set today. And, mm-hmm. and Doc took Marty back in time. He would take him back to the 90s because it's 30 years earlier, you know. Mm-hmm. In 85, mm-hmm. it was 55. I don't know what the 90s would look like. Like, how would I even know we're in the <laughs> 90s? But there's something about the 1980s, at least in my recollection. And we've lived through both of these decades. Mm-hmm. It's so specific and memorable. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're nailing that. Is there, it, is there something beyond the look and feel and sound of it that is attractive to you as far as you understand it? Like the... um. I don't know. How would I explain it? The, uh, how, how, how people lived, uh, you know, mm-hmm. obviously we didn't have certain technologies and, you know, personal computers are just starting to, to be affordable. Are there other aspects of the decade that you long for maybe? Yeah. I mean, it started out as just like the music and the movies and everything and the fashion. And then once I started kind of like finding out more about it, I kind of th- like started thinking like, Oh, like people communicated face to face and, you know, everything was more personable and, not that I'm not grateful for, you know, social media or the platforms that I have, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that I'm able to share, you know, the eighties with other people and connect with other people, my age, or even who live through the time that enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I do kind of wish that like, I was able to see what it would be like just to like call up someone on the phone and be like, meet me at the mall at like 2 yeah. PM. And then, you know, that's it. And have it yeah. be super simple. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do. I think to myself, how did we do it? How did we we make plans and meet up on time? Right. I remember, you know, you leave my house when I was, you know, younger, younger teen or in elementary school, looking to hang out with my friends. You literally, I don't know. I don't remember calling anybody. Maybe I did every now and then, but you would just walk outside and see if you could find them. And I remember right. sometimes I'd be walking for blocks, like all the different, they're not at the park. All right. They're not at the Burger King. You know, they're not, I guess I'm not hanging out with any friends today. And that was it. I went home and was by myself. That was very sad. Child. All right. That was, oh, that was no. just, that's an example. That's not all right. All right. Um, I didn't have any yeah. friends on my block, Will, so I was much worse off. <laughs> Neither did I. So there were no other kids. Yeah. Well, I saw, yeah. Yeah. Kat was driving an ATV in the middle of a woods somewhere with, with her cousins. I saw Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you think about going to the movies. Yeah. It was the same idea. Yeah. We'll just meet you here at this time. Your mother's going to pick you up after she drops you off. If you're not there at the place, well, then she's going to be screaming for you probably. So going back to going to music, of course, you know, you said you grew grew up using, uh, listening on vinyl. So again, is it, is it, are you looking to collect vinyl for the 19, for these music? Because a lot of, as you know, this stuff's available digital on YouTube. Now you can find Mm -hmm. pretty much anything you need. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, is uh is it important for you to get record actual records too? 
Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have any really up here. I have one. Yeah. <laughs> I have one oh, with me. So um, what you got there? Oh, uh, yeah. Carrie McDowell. Hmm. Uh, uh, no, no, casual sex. Hmm. It was a. It wasn't like super yeah. popular, but it was still like a fun song that I like. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then yeah, I have tapes too. I have some Hall and Oates. I have oh, Phil yes. Collins, <laughs> Starpoint. Yeah. Awesome. So Finally. yeah, so I definitely think what? Yeah, okay, I was gonna say you're living more authentically than Cat and I. <laughs> Sorry, I do have I'm a stack envious. of vinyl from the '80s, but but I, no turntable, I, I, right? I, I, well, right? Actually, no. There is a turntable oh, down there. There's no stylus. <laughs> It's kind of buried. Oh, uh, okay. uh, I have to figure this out. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm at college, so I don't have like all my music up here. I have I collect records and gotcha. tapes and everything. I do have a Walkman up here, but nice. um, as for like the player, you know, it's right. too big to drag everything up here. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely do think that like owning music physically is like very important to me mm. versus just kind of renting it from a streaming service and oh. they can pull it down whenever they mm. want to. Like mm-hmm. I like the some kind of wonderful soundtrack, and then mm-hmm. they just got rid of it. It, and now I can't find it anywhere. So at least if you have like the right. physical copy, you know, it like belongs to you. So yeah, I don't know that most yeah. folks know the thing, the point, the point you're making. And I believe there's a lawsuit right now. I don't know what level court it's at, but trying to settle that idea of, uh, resolve the idea that we don't own the music that we have on our phones, etc. We're just leasing it basically. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. Right. Uh, we can, mm-hmm. we can, we're limited, what we can do with it. Right. So you mentioned some, some of the records that you've collected, etc. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you're at school. So do you mind if I ask you what you're studying at school? Oh, sure. Um, I'm a music industry major. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) So So kind of learning about the record business and stuff like that. How appropriate. Yeah. (laughs) And since your love of the 80s predated your going to college, since it started Mm -hmm. when you were in high school still, did Mm -hmm. that interest influence what you're studying? Um, in a way, I feel like I've always been kind of connected to music. I've always sang since I was a kid. Um, I've always Mm -hmm. played instruments, guitar, um, things like that. So, um, I've always, yeah, music has always been like a concrete thing in my life, like no matter what decade I was listening to. So that was kind of like the driving force behind it. But especially like the stuff that I do with like my social medias is mm-hmm. probably more driven by the eighties than anything, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. So, and what, if not the eighties, then what first inspired you to, to, uh, your interest in music? And I know, and I'm, I'm leading to, of course, is your song that you recently released. Right. <laughs> I love this story. It's just mm-hmm. so cool. So what yeah. inspired you to start singing uh, then? Because obviously, like I mentioned, you do have a track out there that you've recorded and you sing on it. I do, yeah. What inspired you first to it's try so cool. singing? Like in general as a yeah, kid? just general, yeah. Oh, I don't even remember. <laughs> I just always like liked performing and I liked mm. singing and finding different things to sing. And I remember like my mom would kind of like sing with me when I was a kid. And then yeah. I kind of just grew up doing that. And then, you know... When I got to college, I really found like my voice and the style I wanted to sing in and really started taking music seriously and taking mm. lessons on singing and things like that. So I don't know, it's always been just like a part of me. So definitely like the eighties has inspired me to really find like the type of music I want to release and, and, and sing at least for the time being. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what I was trying not to allude to, I'm going to just say directly <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> so last year. Mm-hmm. While searching your local record store, you discovered Shy Talk. Yes. Which I've got to be honest, when I read this story on on Instagram, I didn't know who Shy Talk was either. I had to look it up. <laughs> All right. Now I'm surprised I don't remember, didn't remember who Shy Talk is because it was created by a member of the Buzzcocks, even though he, mm-hmm. didn't, actually, he didn't actually perform on the album, that the only album they ever released, Steve Garvey. Right, right. Um, and Proko yeah, Harum, someone from Proko Harum produced it. So they had folks involved that, you know, were well-known mm-hmm. in the music industry, but somehow this English band, Shy Talk, escaped even my uh, circle <laughs> in 1985. Uh, and I say that only because I was DJing at the time as a kid. I started DJing around that time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what makes you pick up Shy Talk to begin with? Do you see it's copyright 1985? Is that the only? <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, pretty much. Um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll go to a record store and I'll pick up an album. And if I, you know, like haven't seen it before, it looks interesting. If it's like a good enough price, I'll just buy it on a whim and, you know, get home and see if I like it. Or I'll listen to like a little clip of it on my phone before I buy it. Mm. Um, and I just saw them and it was right after the pandemic like right after when shops started opening up again Mm -hmm. in June and I picked it up and I was like, Oh, I remember seeing this in in March before everything shut down and they looked really cool. They had like mullets, Um, you know, it was a very eighties cover. And I looked as like 1985 and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on this. Um, I'm going to see if I like it. And I remember I pulled up in the store 
a little clip of their song, Excuse Me. And as soon as I heard the little introduction synth, mm. I was like, what is this? This is the best <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Like, wow. why is this not bigger? Why, like all the other tracks not on YouTube? Like, why is there no information on this band online? So it just kind of became my favorite album. And mm-hmm. yeah, right. that's how I found them. Yeah. That's so, so cool. <laughs> fast forward, I suppose, to what is it? Uh, mm-hmm. Like a year later, right? Yeah. You actually have the chance to meet the keyboardist from a yes. shy talk, D- David Bravo. Mm-hmm. who uh, played keyboards on that album. Uh, he wasn't a member of Shy Talk, I think, initially. I think he came in a little bit after they first formed. But he certainly he was. Oh, he was? Okay. Yeah, so it was formed by Steve Garvey and Dave right. Price in England, and then they came over, and then they put out an ad in the Village Voice, and then all the other members kind of joined. Okay. And, yeah. Right, and they mm-hmm. were called something else. They, they had to change Motivation. Name. Motivation, right. Very yeah. Good. Okay. Um, how do you meet David? So you go from your newest favorite album to within a year right. you meet the keyboardist from this obscure band from, you know, four decades earlier, whatever. Right. How did that happen? So back in, so July of 2020, like right after I found the album, essentially, um, I got it digitized at the record store and I got all the tracks back on my phone, like MP3s. And I decided to make a video just dancing around my song, lip syncing to their song, Dreaming. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. Like, whatever. Like, no one's ever going to really see it aside from the people that follow me. Like, I tried looking up the band members to say, like, oh, my God, I love your album. But for some reason, I just at the time couldn't find them. Mm -hmm. And so that video was floating out there. And I guess David just was searching up the band and found it. And then I get a comment on that video that's like, hi, this is David Bravo. I was the keyboardist in Shy Talk. Wow. Like I have photos of the band. I have videos of the band if you want to see them. Like, this is crazy. And I was like, what? Like, how? <laughs> like, you know, I was just at, like overwhelmed. I was like, yeah. this is crazy. This is really cool. So then we got to messaging and he sent me all these like pictures of the band and everything um, and, and videos and like unreleased tracks and live shows. And I was like, you know, it went from having knowledge of one album and one promotional photo that was blurry on Google to having (laughs) all of this really cool material to like really become a a real fan of this band. And um, he found out, he's like, oh, you're a singer. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, send me some of the videos of you singing. And I was like, okay. So I did. And he's like, oh, we have to get you some original tracks. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Sure. I don't know. And he's like, I think I have some like old tracks I wrote for the singer Nancy Bender in the 80s, just somewhere in a box in my house. I'm going to go through my tapes. I'm going to look through them. And, you know, you can tell me what you like, what you don't like. And I was like, okay. And I remember I was sitting on the ferry coming home from the city like from my job in the summer in like June, like training for my job. And he sent me a big WeTransfer file of all the songs. And I was, I clicked on one of them and a heartbeat away. It was the first one. And I heard it. And I'm like, this is eighties dance pop. This is the exact <laughs> yep. kind of music that I've always wanted to release, but I never knew how to sing it. And I never knew how to like recreate it authentically. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. I figured like how much more authentic can you get than, yeah, an actual track from the eighties, not only that, but also like written by somebody that I look up to musically and that I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of. So Mm -hmm. it was crazy, (laughs) honestly. So yeah. So it's amazing. It it was just what a month ago or so that you actually released the track, a heartbeat away, Mm -hmm. which as you mentioned, is this uh, unreleased song that David Bravo had created originally in the 1980s. Did he, Mm -hmm. um, you know, look, the song sounds Straight, and I did. A, I played a little game earlier in the show against, uh, you know, with Cat and our our co-host Ray. I played them mm-hmm. three songs from the 1980s. Or sorry, I played them three songs. Two of them are from the 1980s. One of them is yours. <laughs> to see if they could spot the song that was just released. Uh-huh. <laughs> and well, well, our co-host Ray, who knows he's, he doesn't know any dance pop music, but he actually got it right. But only because yours is the only song he knows of of the three. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But. Last week, he couldn't even tell a new Duran Duran song from an old Duran Duran. But but actually, that was my point. My point was that even Duran Duran, and -hmm. much like yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. I guess now with the technology we have, we're able to emulate what we had back then and still sound Mm -hmm. like we're of that era. And you have a gentleman who produced music in that era. Did he Mm -hmm. recreate the tracks? Uh, Obviously, he's not using the original tracks. He probably recreated them. No, he. We, this really? is the original track. Yeah, so he it sent me a cassette. So clear. They were recorded on DAT, oh, so it's digital okay. audio tape. So it was like the more professional cassette wow. of the time. Sure. So we had a cassette rip, and then we have you know the DAT 
version of it. So yeah, the, that was the actual track from the 80s. Wilson and Gideon. the only new thing or anything added is my vocals. So yeah. No kidding. <laughs> this is insane. Seriously. Um, <laughs> by the way, I'll see if I have the other... Uh, I'll tell you the other two songs I played. I don't remember what they were. It was, uh, I know, I remember offhand one of them. See if you know what these songs are from the 1980s. Okay. Uh, oh boy. Oh, it was Alicia. Alicia. Uh, I think I played, Which one? I think I played Baby Talk. Did I play Baby Talk? I love Alicia. She's like my favorite artist ever. Yeah, one love, of them. I would love oh. to talk to her, by the way. She's hard to find. Mm, uh, yeah, Alicia, Baby Talk. And I played uh, a more obscure Stacey Q song, I Love You. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Not obscure I love to you. Her too. <laughs> Not obscure for you, of course. But I, um, I picked those songs because of uh-huh. some of the similarities in the instrumentation, et cetera, you mm-hmm. know, uh, well, and your vocal um, quality. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a Heartbeat Away was actually written by Alexandra Forbes, co-written. Um, so it was co-written by David Bravo, um, Nancy Bender, the original singer who was supposed to sing it, oh. and then Alexandra Forbes, um, who actually wrote let your heart make up your mind and two turned on for Alicia. Okay. So it was written oh, by, wow. yeah, one of co-written by one of the writers who wrote for Alicia. Yeah. So that means a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. yeah. Uh, uh, we had a chance. Well, we were going to speak to a freestyle artist from the 1980s several months ago and it's scheduling didn't work out. I'm still hoping to maybe talk to her, but there's a number mm-hmm. of different artists from that era that I would love to talk to. And Alicia is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. So are there any mm-hmm. other tracks to come? Are there other, maybe working with David about uh, some other things mm-hmm. he has in a box? Yes. Yes. We have enough for an album. I will say that. Wow. Um, I'm supposed to release What's a Girl. All of the songs are written back then by okay. him, other artists. Um, and they're all from the 80s, digitized off of tapes. So we have What's a Girl to Do, which is going to be the B-side to A Heartbeat Away. And I hope mm-hmm. to release it on vinyl shortly and a cassette single. So, yeah. yeah. Of course. You know, it's interesting because I know you're from New York and you mentioned you're going to school in New York. Mm-hmm. A lot of these bands, you know, I'm from, I'm from Jersey City, New Jersey, originally. Okay, not too far. Yeah, I moved out mm-hmm. to Ohio uh, 15 years ago now, but, but I consider myself a Jersey City guy. And Kat's originally from New Jersey also, although she's from down the shore. Oh, yeah. Oh, I went to Seaside on vacation. Hey, oh, nice. God, yeah. <laughs> but it seems to me that, you know, these kinds of acts, Alicia, Stacey Q, um, you know, Company B, Fascination, uh, Shannon. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they were, were well known beyond the East Coast. You know, and you know, in freestyle generally, and some of the you know, like you prefer to d- dance pop from mm-hmm. New York to Miami. I think that's sort of you know the coverage area. And mm-hmm. it's, it's always a little disappointing to me to be outside of those areas and love these songs and, and hard to find folks who right. even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so how? So like you mentioned, you've been living this sort of you know night. You're living like you're. <laughs> People say to us, hey, move on from the 1980s. But you, you're, t- you're going to be 21 in a few days. They're like celebrating the fact that, and we're celebrating, uh, right. the fact that a younger person is living, is holding on to the 1980s. How long do you think this will, could last? Or? I don't know. I mean, I've always been somebody who kind of goes through phases, you know, okay. like when I was a kid, I really liked, you know, the 60s and I was a big Britney Spears fan for a while. Then that one only lasted like one to two years, like each mm. thing. And then this is going on five years of my life. And <laughs> like, I don't stretch. know. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to end anytime soon. I, you know, I wish I could say um, it might, it might not, but I do know that there's like a huge umbrella of things underneath the eighties decade mm-hmm. to discover. And so it's always something new you're finding out. It's always interesting. And so you have at know. least five more years because then it's a decade. Just, right. Just exactly. Stick, stick with at least a decade of this. Hmm. Right. Well, you know, I was reading something about, you know, uh, Gen X folks, uh, I don't know about how the nineties is now coming up and that's because no, no, it's not. There's nothing about the nineties. I can't, I don't know what that is. Is it wearing a jumper with one strap down? Is, is that what, that's what the nineties is as far as I can. I don't know. I only know up to 91 and then I kind of exactly. just fades out there. I see that too. I don't listen to any music past 91 more or less because that it's still Neither like the in those kinds of Right. All right. Mm-hmm. Violet, we're so grateful for your time today. And we certainly wish you the best of luck in all your 1980s endeavors. <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks. It was awesome being here. Like we said earlier, she's living, she's living a life more authentically 80s than we are. It makes me feel like we're slacking. Maybe I need to move my vinyl up from the basement so I can look at it more often. Cat, uh, you got to get the turntable out too. That's what I need to get out too. <laughs> but now I feel like I need to get one, you know, and get, I would love, I had such a, I had a large record collection mm-hmm. and I gave it all away. Like an oh, idiot. Man. It's one of my big <laughs> regrets in my life. No. 
What could you do to be more 80s, uh, living in the 80s, right? I suppose I could actually watch some VHS tapes, as I do <laughs> have a VCR, and you know, make some popcorn. Mm-hmm. Watch yeah. uh, Real Genius. That'd be fun. <laughs> then be careful with the popcorn. <laughs> okay. Hey, our show is brought to you in part, uh, thanks to our very special uh, patrons, including John Henderson, Craig Coletta, Bart Arnold, John Kaminsky, and John Reddick. Go to patreon.com slash 1980s now so you can join them and yeah. contribute to more episodes. All right. Hey, we will talk to you next time on 1980s now. See ya. Later.